Hey everyone, this is Brandon Lyles. My wife Heidi and I pastor Living Word Northwest in Rogers, Minnesota. We hope what you're about to hear encourages you no matter what you're facing this week. We believe you'll experience Jesus wherever you're listening from right now. Enjoy the message. Some of you guys may know, um, Caleb and I have been, you know, working on launching an upcoming youth service July 20th. Woo! Super exciting. Um, shameless plug, you know, if I'm going to come up here, I'm going to talk about youth. I just can't help it. I love these teens. I love this community. And um, we've just been working on this series called 180. And it's pretty much describing how God was so different than any other God. You know, in ancient times, biblical times, they had never seen a God so generous. You know, usually you existed as like, you know, a person on this planet to just serve God, and that was it, and that was your importance, but our God is so radically different, Um, and so we thought it'd be really fun to give you guys a little preview into this series that we've been working on, 180, for um, our youth services coming up, and the message will be different, so youth, come on July 20th, please, come, be there, support, it's going to be a different message, um, We're going to switch it up. And this is just like a little precursor. So we realize that in this church, there are some people who have been attending Living Word for 30 plus years. You know, holla, we got some 30 people, 30 plus year people in here. Woo woo. And we have some people probably in here who have been attending for 30 minutes. Now 30 minutes and five seconds. Woo. Yeah, yeah. So we just have an array of ages in here. And so um, when I was writing this message, I'm like, is this too basic for those people who have been here for so long? Is this just going to be like, really, I'm sitting here listening to this. I've known this for so long. But what I realized is sometimes when we're doing something for a really long time, um, we don't really have recollection of how the process works Do you ever have that where, you know, you get into your routine and everything becomes completely automatic? A good example is, do you guys remember driving here today? Really? You put your seatbelt on probably sometime in the process. You backed up the car. But, you know, I feel like I just walked to the car and then, boom, I'm where I needed to be. Like, mindlessly somehow I got in the car and made it here. Um, Think back. I know you all... A lot of you have been driving for a long time. Think back to when you first started driving. It was a process. It was really a process. I remember, you know, you get in the car. Well, actually, let me start with this. When I first started driving, my parents were going to teach me how to drive, and I got in the car with my dad, and he's like, okay, back up the car, get to the end of the street, and then I'll show you where to go. And I'm like, I don't even know how to turn on the car. Like, what do I do I just press on the pedal? What do I do? For them, it even became just like so automatic. It's like not even worth talking about putting the key in the ignition or anything like that because it was already so automatic in my dad's brain at the time. So maybe, you know, we remember this. You get in the car, I put your seatbelt on, and you look down at your feet. Uh, we haven't done this in a while, but when you first started driving, you like look down at your feet to make sure you didn't accidentally hit the gas you hit the brake pedal. And sometimes you even confirm with your parent, this is, this is what I do, right? Like, am I, am I doing this correctly? Is this the brake pedal? And then you slowly put it on. Then you turn the key 
And then you don't do it for too long. Can you do that again? Ooh. I don't know. Is that a Camry? Can anyone identify what kind of car? Close your eyes. Do you see the car? Do you see what that is? Does that bring back memories of your first car? (laughs) So, um, yeah, you pretty much would have this like step process and it was a lot slower and clunkier. And then you looked and with your foot on the brake pedal, you moved, you know, that prindle thing into the R area. And then you had to like make sure like, okay, like this is really in reverse, right? Like, okay, it's aligned up. And then you slowly release the brake like a little bit just to make sure you were headed in the right direction. Is this bringing back any memories? Like, very slowly. Now we, like, whip out of our driveways, like, boom, we don't even look. But before, you know, you really took this stuff super seriously, and it was a process, and it was very slow, and it annoyed your parents, but then you were just trying to be safe. Um, All this to say, sometimes we just forget about our foundation, these things that keep us safe or help us grow or helped us grow at a certain time. And it just all becomes automatic. Like I said, you know, I literally don't know how I got here today. Did I walk to the car? We drove. I put on my seatbelt, but I don't remember that process just because I wasn't paying attention to it. So um, we thought reviewing some of the basics would remind us of our why. And in turn, it can help us share our faith with other people. Do you ever have that? Um, And maybe I'm the only one guilty of this. I will have somebody ask me, you know, why I believe in God or what's happened in my life that's helped me to grow my faith. And sometimes that question catches you off guard and you're like, well, God is just so good. So that's why I believe, you know, But nobody can have their faith, you know, be based on, well, God is just so good to Lauren. So that's why I believe in God. You know, what a a shallow thing. So that's why we think reviewing the basics can be good so that we can actually boldly share faith to others versus, you know, having that why and foundation kind of in the background. It's a little automatic. We're aware of covenant. We're aware of Jesus. But sometimes we don't always know how to articulate it to others. So I'm excited to share that with you today. Caleb and I have done like just a lot of research on the history of covenant, looking at the Old Testament to see um, just how we can apply it to our own lives, remembering how Jesus comes into the picture, all that good stuff. So um, let me just get back on my notes. Sorry, I have so much fun, but I got to rein it in because I know we got a lot to go through. Sometimes we lose sight of our covenant because of society's influence on us. It's really easy to, you know, take these human relationships that we have and compare it to our relationship with God. Maybe you've been in this place where you're like, God just isn't speaking to me right now. And I don't mean that in a jokey way because I've been there where it's like, I'm just not hearing anything. And then you think, oh, God's just giving me the silent treatment as if our God would really do that, like a human relationship. You know, we give each other, you know, sometimes the silent treatment when we're frustrated or something like that. Um, But our relationship with God is not the way we have a human relationship. But sometimes our human relationships affect how we end up viewing God and end up communicating to him. So I use this word relationship a lot. And I'm going to go in, I'm going to go into a quick true story. 
I have this great relationship with um, this car mechanic. His name is Otto. I know it's a little ironic. He's an auto mechanic. His name is Otto. O-T-T-O. He was born for it. He was born to work on cars. And he is Dutch. So I think that's common. Like a common name. I have a great relationship with this guy named Otto. My auto mechanic. He is amazing. The best deals. The best deals. I trust him. I, I don't think he's ripping me off. I guess I don't know. I don't know how to work on a car, but I trust that he's not ripping me off. And he'll just like do crazy things. Like, you know, he doesn't live by the rules of car mechanics. Like if he needs something welded on, he'll just just do it right then and there. Fix her up real good. It's not like, what are the typical car repair places? I don't know. Tires Plus. Yeah, Tires Plus, uh uh-uh. Otto and his garage. He'll do whatever you want, whatever. Put the engine on top. He doesn't care. Signs are paying him. But I trust him. I, I really, I trust this guy. I also have a relationship with my husband, Caleb. You are my closest friend. I love you dearly, and I'm so thankful for you. Woo, I love you, baby. But I'm blushing. You're blushing? Wow. I, I trust you. Um, but it's pretty clear to see that my relationship with Otto and my relationship with Caleb are not the same. Even though I... Hope not. No, yeah, well, hope not. They aren't, they aren't, they aren't. They are not. Um, so um, I use this word relationship to describe both of our relationships, but they're clearly different because what I have with you is a covenant. Caleb and I, we wrote vows We got up in front of everybody in our fancy schmancy clothes and in front of God and at an altar. uh, And we shared our vows with our family, pastor, and God. We made promises to each other and we even traded rings. So when you see my ring, you see Caleb. And when you see Caleb's ring, you see, oh, Lauren has great style. What? Oh, Euro cut, yellow gold, that's coming back into style. Brushed finish, really modern minimalist of her. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So She's not kidding. No, I, I'm really proud of this. I'm, I'm just kidding. I, um, She's not kidding. Uh, so we have these things that represent our relationship. So even though I describe, you know, certain relationships, there's something deeper. And our relationship with God is the same way. Where, you know, we describe, oh, relationship with God. And don't get me wrong. Don't shout me down. We do have a relationship with God. But it's also something that runs much deeper that binds us together. Do you, do you want to share a little bit yeah. of the research that you've done on covenants? Yeah, I think uh, part of understanding the, the difference there is really tracing kind of the historical nature of that covenant. And um, we were watching this like online lecture about what the Old Testament is and its kind of main message. And we really felt that it deserved to be talked about in this, this covenant discussion. Um, so, you know, back in, back in the day, the, the vision of God that Christians and Jews had was completely different. And Lauren was touching on that where um, it was a complete 180 where most people in that time believed that they were on earth simply to serve the gods um, for whatever whims they may have had. And the God that Christians and Jews believe in, it, he, he was 
made or he made it humans to serve them, you know, as a complete reversal. Um, our God works for us and we don't work for him. And that was just such a new paradigm and it really stuck out back then. And Isaiah 64, four lays it out. It says from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. So in this act of waiting, God would pour out grace upon people. It, it wasn't the other way around where we had to work, you know, as slaves to avoid wrath or pestilence or anything like that. So mm-hmm. uh, Acts 17.25, Paul talks about this to the Athenians. He says, um, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind, all mankind life and breath and everything. So it really gets rid of that idea that we can offer God anything that he doesn't already have. So it just reinforces the the futile nature of trying to serve God, you know, or trying to put all the the work on us to make our lives better, anything like that. You know, it's there, there's no reason to do that. It's just that we have to put our trust in him. And so this paradigm that we see kind of enter out in the ancient world, it's it's really central to this covenant that we have. And I think sometimes we 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 forget that and we don't always trace that throughout the, the Bible. So, um, but like, what is a covenant? Um, we say these words and we may not always realize what their, their meaning is, but we looked at what covenant means and in Hebrew it's called berit and it's similar to, you know, a promise or a pledge, um, between like individuals, groups, or even nations. Um, it describes a, in the Hebrew it describes a relationship between a, like a master and his servants who the master is providing everything for the servants. And um, it's not enforced through any law or anything like that. It's voluntary on both sides. And um, you know, if you meet your end of the deal, then the other person will, you know, give you what they owe you. And then if they hold up the end of their deal, you know, it's. But can I interject a little bit? Mm-hmm. Is that right? All right, thank you. The only thing that the servant had to do was be loyal. That was it. So when you talk about the different ends of it, all the servant had to do was be loyal and trust, and all the blessings would come from that. So you'd see this like in, um, for example, I don't know if you were going to share a little bit about this, but like the Babylonians and the Hittites had a similar treaty and um, they were obviously the smaller group, but by just trusting and proving loyalty, they pretty much are able to receive from the main provider, if that makes sense. Sorry, I just wanted to add that piece. Yeah, no, if you, tra- you kind of look at the the covenant through different people in the Old Testament, you start to get this idea of like what that theme is of like where God is working for those who wait for him. Um, so all throughout creation, God is creating all that is for the good of humanity. Um, and here's that covenant promise where God is working on Adam's behalf. Adam doesn't have to do anything. He just has to simply wake up and then it's there. Um, and we're, we're still in that, that day of rest where God rests in his creation for Adam's benefit. Um, and we're still living that out today. Um, we also see God's eternal nature, um, and kind of that point where God didn't need us, like God existed for eternity. So before creation, there there was no reason that, you know, we needed to be there. Like God was just fine without us. But there's one thing that God couldn't do, and that was to pour out mercy or grace on a needy object. So God created... Not objects, though. Yeah. Yeah, okay, people. sorry. People. Needy people. 
people who needed his love. Yes. Yes. Um, so God created the world simply to work for humanity and to pour out his grace on us and to, to bless us with creation and humanity in our response. All we need to do is multiply to show his glory. And that, that theme kind of continues with Noah where, um, for violating the covenant, humanity was punished with the flood because they didn't trust in God, but Noah did. So Noah was, um, blessed to continue on that covenant and it's, God gives similar instructions to Noah where, you know, you should multiply and then the, that principle of waiting for God and being blessed is still there and still present. And um, that continues on through Abraham. We see at a time when that vision of God, where God works for us was lost, Abraham was chosen out of all the, the different people and the nations to, to make that promise evident again and to create the nation that would be a light for the world to show that promise um, and all Abraham had to do was to believe God. And by doing that, God counted his faith as righteousness. And so again, we see that theme of God is blessing those who wait for him. And, um, then Moses, we see that when he goes on to Mount Sinai to meet with God, to receive the 10 commandments, um, we see kind of a continuation of that theme, but it it gets a little interesting because now we see there's kind of a historical context to that covenant. And like Lauren was saying, um, there's this thing that they found kind of when they were, I think, digging around there in the Middle East. In the sand. When they're digging in the sand. Just kidding. Looking for things. And (laughs) they stumbled upon this. uh, They're real people who are researching old cities and um, archaeologists. That's the word. They're not just digging in the sand. I'm sorry. Archaeologists. They they found this thing this called a suzerain vassal treaty. So if you ever want to say something that makes you sound smart, you can suzerain vassal treaty. Yeah, is that good? Say, say it in a special accent. Yeah, there we are. But basically, it was a treaty made between this this greater suzerain or like a greater king and like a lesser king or what we call a vassal. And basically, the suzerain was the provider of food and defense and all different resources for the vassal. And then all the vassal had to do was to be loyal, not make any other treaties with any other people. They just had to be loyal to that suzerain. Um, it had a particular format, too, that we can see. Um, and it basically started with like a preamble, which is like an introduction. And it goes into like a historical prologue of what the, the suzerain has done for the vassal. Um, and then like stipulations for what the vassal needs to do. And then there's some like details about like how to store it and uh, the witnesses. And then it gets... Store it in a Ziploc baggie. Yeah. They, that's how you... It's definitely not in the That's where they put the treaties, just Ziploc baggies. It's the desert. Sand. All right, go ahead. And then uh, you had the blessings and the cursings depending on if the covenant was honored by the either party. So it's really interesting because at that time, we see Moses meeting with God and he's getting this Ten Commandments, you know, and the Ten Commandments in Exodus and Deuteronomy really follow that same format. So it's interesting to learn that because the people of that day would have been very familiar with these treaties because they were they were matters of life and death for people and nations. And so they knew that the weight it carried. Um, so having God create that treaty with them, they they could really grasp the the power that was within the covenant and their identity in it. Um, so Exodus 22 contains that preamble in the historical prologue. God says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then 
they have the stipulations or what they're commanded to do. No other, having no other gods before him, not worshiping idols, keeping the Sabbath. Um, and so when I was reading this, I was kind of confused because it seemed like, okay, wait, wasn't God supposed to work for us? And then there's nothing we have to do. We just have to wait on him. Well, now there's like 10 things I can't do. So that sounds like I gotta, I gotta do things now. I have to, I'm now serving God. Mm-hmm. Um, but worry not, Paul has an answer. <laughs> so he always does. Yeah, good old Paul. Yeah. Paul reminds us in Galatians three seventeen through eighteen that the law, you know, speaking of the Ten Commandments, which came four hundred thirty years afterward of Abraham, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Basically saying that because God made this promise and God is unchanging and God is true that he's still going to honor that promise. So the the 10 commandments don't uh, get rid of that. Mm -hmm. And something I wanted to share is because like when I first read the 10 commandments, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is so, it's so daunting. It's in that shape I've never seen before. I don't know, you know, on these stones and everything. And for us humans, we read that and it just like seems so rigid and, um, kind of stressful and a little not personal, but for them back then, it made a lot of sense in their historical context. In our context, it kind of looks like, you know, when you go to school and they have like the rules and it's like, you know, feet on the floor and put the bubble in the mouth, you know, like all the preschool rules that they have for you to be good. Um, so that's how, when I first read the 10 commandments, that's how I kind of perceived it. I'm like, Oh, this is kind of cold and it just seems kind of odd, but, um, it really made sense to them in their historical context. They were pretty much going to put their trust in God to handle all the matters that they previously felt responsible for handling. For example, um, you know, thinking of just do not covet, it seems like this command but when we're coveting something or wanting something that somebody else has, we're not believing that God can bring that to us. You know, we're not believing that it's going to be provided to us or, um, you know, do not murder. It just seems so like, ooh, do not murder. But when we, um, for them, that meant, oh, I don't need to murder because God will bring justice. Does that kind of make sense? That kind of help clarify the historical context a little bit. Um, we allow the covenant to reshape our identity, realizing that God is going to be our provider. We don't need to be judge, jury, and executioner. And obviously we have a legal system. We have a government. But back then, I feel like, you know, when you're wandering in the desert and somebody steals your manna, um, I bet like there's no government. So it's like, I got to take matters into my own hands. I got to settle this. Maybe it wasn't like that, but I would assume, you know, people feel the onus on them to figure everything out. But what God is saying is like, no, I will fight for you. I will handle these matters. I will make sure that justice is brought to this person who has wronged you. And it seems like a little archaic, but come on, you know that feeling where somebody wrongs you and you like have that feeling in your chest. And obviously I'm not going to like attack them, but I'm like... I'm going to tell everyone about this, how you wronged me or whatever, you know, and maybe that's a little bit something I got to work on, but (laughs) just being transparent, you know, when somebody wrongs you, you feel like the sense of ownership that you have to do it on your own. Nobody's going to justify you. They made me look bad, whatever. Um, But God is really saying like, release that to me. 
I will work it out. I will show the truth. And like, I know murder seems archaic too, but I've watched enough unsolved mysteries to realize that some people still do that. You know, some people still take justice into their own hands. And it's, you know, it's something that's good to remember that God is going to handle our affairs for us. He's going to handle what we need. We just need to trust in him. And that's kind of what the covenant, or I'm sorry, that's kind of what the 10 commandments was showing them at the time. For us, sometimes we read it as this list of rules, but for them, they really identified this as, wow, God is going to do all this for us. And we just have to trust that he's going to work all this out. So I wanted to just quickly add to that. We have this flesh that makes us just want to do things on our own. Um, It might just be me in here, but sometimes I just want to do things on my own. I feel like I know the best way for it to be done. And um, God has just such a better way. He says, I will vindicate you. I will fight for you. And he says, I'll make sure you end up on top. He'll defeat whatever is in your way. Um, The battle isn't always ours to fight. So when we feel this pressure to do it all on our own, um, it's only a matter of time when we realize we can't, you know, like something starts to break and we're like, I'm on the fritz. I'm freaking out. Like there's, I can't fix this. Yeah, uh, and I th- uh, another part too about the Ten Commandments is like they were made for our benefit. You know, I've, I've never murdered anybody, but you know, I can imagine that it would complicate, you know, your life and jail, you know, things yeah, like that. Jail. Typical yeah. things. <laughs> Yeah, so you can see that that theme of like God working for those who wait for for Him is it's still concretely there, you know. Even though with the the Ten Commandments, it gets a little interesting, you know. You just you still see that promise still being honored by God. Um, and then David is the last of the Old Testament examples of this, where Israel, as usual, was acting up and demanded a king, and you know God was like, "Okay, whatever, I'll just give you a king." So David centralized worship and government in Jerusalem, and he decided, you know, God, I'm going to build you a temple. And then God, through Nathan the prophet, was like, "You know, I didn't ask for this, but he's he's he says that." You know what? I'm still working for you. You're not working for me. I'm going to build the temple, um, and it won't be the other way around. And here we see again that the promise of God working for us and not us working for him really comes um, apparently. Um, And then we come to Jesus, who is... He's like an embodiment of all the previous covenants. Um, He fulfills all those pictures that Israel had been drawing before. You know, he's the king... He is the sacrificial lamb. He's the light of the world, you know, um, the final blood sacrifice, that promised Messiah. So Jesus fulfills that that part of the covenant that us human, humans couldn't keep as righteous, you know. So he really takes the, the pressure off of us to to fulfill all those commandments and to... to and then it's, it's that, re, that final promise of saying like, you know what, I, I'm so much so going to work for you that I'm going to sacrifice myself to, to complete that promise there. Right. And can I mention something? I think we might go in the, into this a little bit if we have time, but um, you know, when you were forming this covenant with a person or a nation or a group, the consequence for the most part, if the covenant was broken was death. That's what you were deserving of. If you, you know, weren't loyal Like, you know, I feel like everything back then, the consequence was kind of death, but we deserve that. And Jesus came into the picture and he died so that we could be restored, renewed and counted as righteous. 
Yeah, so you can really see that the, the covenant can be traced all throughout the Bible, and it, it really culminates in Jesus' sacrifice that's mm-hmm. still affecting us today. And kind of once you, I think some, something about seeing the historical nature of it really makes you feel the importance of it. You know, it's like, oh, God has been working on our behalf for thousands of years throughout all these different people, and you can really see the promise come out in the the different stories that we read and it's this the same covenant that we have now. It's just progressed. Right, right. And I know that was a lot of information, a lot of people, a lot of individual stories, but it helps us just really, like you said, see, you know, the validity of this, see that it's been forever that God has made this promise to us and he's never broken it. Um, it just keeps you know, appearing again when in these different people, he just illustrates it maybe a little bit differently, but it gives us that appreciation that, okay, this is something that is bigger than I realized. This is something that is forever. Um, it didn't like the promise just like, you know, fizzled out and then happened again. It's been forever, his promise towards us. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we, we forget the the weight of it, you know, in our present circumstances, because our circumstances become all encompassing in our eyes. It's like, Oh God, where are you? You know, it's like God has always been there and God is, you know, still honoring that promise. And we just have to rely on him. We have to have faith. We have to wait for God and he will pour out that, that grace and that mercy upon us. Right. And it's totally okay to have those moments. Like I have those moments where I'm like, what am I doing? God, like I I need you. You know, like the song says, like I need a touch from you right now, like desperately. And I think, you know, it's okay to have those moments, but it's just so good to center ourselves on this, remind ourselves of, no, this promise is deeper than any relationship. This is something um, between me and the Lord that makes us family, makes us one. And I think one of the reasons that we have troubles with realizing that covenant identity that we have is so many of our relationships throughout our current culture are just um, under assault and are really fickle. You know, like you look at the different relationship stats that you read online, you know, with marriages, you know, almost half of them end in divorce, you know, 41% of the first time marriages do, um, and so if that's your your context mm-hmm. for what a relationship should be like, you know, even marriage is a very serious, it's probably the most serious relationship we have to compare to what a relationship with God is. And if they're failing so much, you know, how, whether you want to believe it or not, you're in this culture and it's going to affect the way that you think about your relationship with God. And mm-hmm. it's just going to be in the back of your head, you know, like this relationship could fail because most of the ones I see around me fail. It's good to remind ourselves that that is not our relationship with him. It's it's a supernatural relationship. It's a relationship with God. And when we can per, we can picture what the perfect family looks like and apply that to our relationship with God. Because I, when I think family, I'm like, oh, family, <laughs> family, you know, like sometimes you just don't know what to expect. Sometimes, you know, it's it's perfect and they're there for you and everything's working out. And in other circumstances, you know, we have failed families. You know, we have parents who, you know, maybe didn't want us or don't care for us. You know, I'm just being completely honest. There's so many different things that are happening in our world. And sometimes when we view family, we, you know, project that onto God. 
like, oh, he doesn't want me or whatever, you know, anything that we have going on in our lives, we sometimes project that on him. But think of the perfect family. I know it's hard to think of because it doesn't exist. Thinking of the perfect family, they're always there for you. They're never mad at you. <laughs> they're, you know, you're together forever. Nothing could separate you. Um, you know, they provide for you. And like I said, a lot of people and, you know, even moments myself haven't always had that, but we can, um, attribute what that perfect family looks like to our relationship with God. Yeah. Like even going into like, um, where you're saying like sometimes, you know, parents, they, they do the unthinkable, you know, and they, Mm -hmm. you know, abandon their children. And I think, you know, with one in four children, not living with a biological step or adoptive father, it can really poison your mind into like what a father should be, you know, and then it's just gonna, you know, if it takes the wrong turn, it's going to reflect on what God is to you, you know, it's like, is God going to abandon me? You know, is God not caring for me? And it's, it's not true. It just, Mm-mm. it, it's, it, you know, it's a lie from what our culture has told us, you know, it's like God has been present and will never leave us and never forsake us. Moving on, um, we can remember this covenant um, in many different ways. Sorry, that seems like such a low point. (laughs) That just seems like, you know, really heavy. But it's, it's so true that we can allow what our physical relationships look like to reflect how we view God. But what we can do is we can take steps to remind ourselves of this relationship, of this covenant that we have with our Father, even though things around us aren't really reflecting what God looks like. Sometimes, you know, our relationships that we're associated with don't show us the love of God at all. We can, um, you know, step out of that and really take, you know, our own initiative to find out what a relationship with God looks like, what a covenant with Him looks like. And, um, this covenant identity comes so easily for, you know, these ancient Hebrews who really understood what the Ten Commandments meant. They really understood um, what a covenant was. And modern day Jews actually really understand this well. They have that reverence towards God. Um, first and foremost, we just need to bring our awareness to Jesus. And maybe that's the easiest way to do it because it's commanded that we do things or we use Jesus as our model here on earth. Obviously, we we can't always keep it, you know. Jesus is it's a hard model to follow sometimes, but we can do our best by reading the word, reflecting on him. And Romans 13, 8 through 10 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit Adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. We see how explicitly Christ loves others on, you know, while he was here on earth. That's really the model that we are to follow. And... Um, through Jesus's grace, we're able to set that example towards others. You know, as we allow God to fill us with his love, we can let that pour onto those people around us and start to mirror God 
you know, to our neighbors and the people around us. And that can really remind us of um, our relationship with the Father, our covenant identity through Him that we don't have to provide. We don't have to do everything right. We can just be filled by Him and allow that to pour onto others. Yeah, I think like by putting yourself in God's shoes and becoming like a blessing and being graceful to people and really trying to mimic what Jesus did on earth, you're getting a sense of how God feels about you. And then that Mm -hmm. helps you to realize your covenant identity by saying, okay, this is, this is, I have this picture of how God feels Mm -hmm. and it really provides more confidence in the relationship with him that you have with him by acting it out. Right. Additionally, Jesus knew who he was. You know how, I don't know, sometimes I'm like walking around questioning like, oh, like who am I? What's going on with me? What is my life? Jesus was so confident when you read the word. He was so confident in who he was and what he was here to do. You know, like he really knew um, his identity and we can know our identity with confidence, just knowing I'm family with God. We are one. And that's the interesting about that's the interesting thing about covenant is um, it was no longer two nations. It was no longer this group and this group or even separate people. When um, covenant was formed, you literally became one. You were saying, this is now my family. And that's just what was known that it's, you guys are no longer separate and we can view our relationship with God in the same way. And I, this is kind of a goofy example, but I'll be vulnerable. Sometimes when you have a big meeting or I have something going on in my life that's, you know, takes a little extra effort, I just pictured Jesus walking into the room with me. You know, I just pictured doing it with him. I don't have to feel like I'm just doing this thing alone and God's all the way up here. And I'm like, hey, God, see me in this meeting today. I can picture us doing it hand in hand, you know. And I think that's just such a good reminder of our covenant identity with him. And he also knew where his help came from. Jesus would retreat to pray. He would retreat to talk to the Father. And that's such a good reminder that we can know exactly where our help comes from. We don't have to have that automatic um, switch back to us sometimes where I'm like, how am I going to do this thing? Or how is this going to get worked out? We can really try our best to remember where our help comes, where our help comes from like Jesus did. I want to read Romans 12, 1 through 6. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's go back to the first part of this verse. It says... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present ourselves in that way, we are completely dependent on God's mercy. We can't do it alone. We can't present ourselves in this way without realizing that we are dependent on his mercy and forgiveness. Another part, as we get to the bottom of this verse, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It makes it so clear that we just spend time with him and we're able to access 
and learn and get to know his will and his personality. That's our next step in forming a better foundation and relationship with him is just by taking time to get to know the Lord, taking time in his word, spending time with him, even if that's just in the car. We don't have to necessarily... um, we. We don't have to necessarily go through all these hoops and do all these things and be a Christian for however many years. We can just crack open a Bible and spend time with him. And that allows him to continue to show his will, his plans for us, even just the next steps. And maybe you could share a little bit more about some of the more traditional spiritual practices that we researched. Yeah, I think going back to like what Lauren said about like, you know, walking into a meeting and Jesus being there with you, Mm -hmm. um, when you look back at these old covenants, like old blood covenants, what they would do is they would exchange garments, you know, so you would put on the robe of another and they would put on your robe. Mm -hmm. And it was like a physical manifestation of the idea that, you know, you are with them now wherever you go. And they would Mm -hmm. also like exchange weapons, meaning like I would defend you um, if you needed defense, like I was with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh viewing that as like, I'm putting on the robes of righteousness, you know, through this covenant that wherever I go, God is there with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just, you know, having that, that sort of faith, that, that word of God, um, is a tool that you can always use to, to have that defense in times when, when you need it. So I think it's really important to view that covenant that we have in terms of like how they used to, where it was like, it was very apparent that you were one and you were, Mm -hmm. um, you were like one family. Right, right. Additionally, just some more traditional things. And I know, okay, traditions sound like a to-do and traditions sound like, you know, like an obligation sometimes. But something interesting we were researching about traditions is, um, you know, the tradition isn't to show obedience. It's to kind of create like a celebration, if that makes sense. So like, you know, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Easter. And sometimes it just feels like, you know, it's about us. Like we're just going to our in-laws or we're just going to our family and it's probably going to be stressful. And did I bring a gift for the kids? Like, do I bring bunny ears or is that not allowed? Like what, (laughs) you know, all these different things, but we can put the focus when it comes to like tradition on the Lord. And we can even create our own traditions and things to look forward to, to celebrate God and celebrate our covenant with him. And this sounds goofy. Maybe I'll, should I share my sourdough thing. Okay. So this is goofy. Um, but it's kind of fun for me. So I really look forward to Saturday. That's when I rest, relax. You know, that's when I celebrate the Sabbath and, um, I've started making this sourdough starter. Does anybody in here know how to make sourdough? Okay. I might need help from you, John, just John, I guess. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so it's, I call it this um, Sabbath sourdough. So it's just sitting there cooking on our shelf, you know, and I look forward to celebrating with you the Sabbath and eating it. And if I forget one week, who cares? It's not like this weird tradition where it's like, I got to keep it up and whatever. It's just so that we can enjoy and look forward to the things that God has for us and bring some life into this routine that we get stuck in. Sometimes we're just like, oh, back to Monday or or I got the Sunday scaries or whatever, you know, where we are just feeling just in this routine where there's just no life, you know, but we can take these moments and do random things to remember our covenant with the Lord and celebrate, you know, his goodness in our lives. Did you have anything else that you wanted to share? Maybe. 
thinking about it. Thinking about it. No, I think um, <laughs> I think ba- back then too, these covenants were just like matters of life and death, so they carried such weight. You know, I was like, if you know, if they don't come defend me, then I'm I'm I'm, I'm a goner. Or you know, if I mess up in this covenant, you know, I'm a goner. You know, like what you said is like everything was a matter of life and death back then. But I think viewing our our relationship, our covenant with God in that same way, like trying to envision it with the weight it has and mm-hmm. to give God the respect of, you know, our, our suzerain, you know, he's going to provide all of our needs and all we have to do is be loyal. We can't make any other covenants, you know, with any other gods, but in our time, you know, that manifests in, you know, your job or, you know, social media or anything like that, where you're really prioritizing that to, to fulfill you or to give you what you need when in reality, God has everything in store for you. So I think, just like reframing that and kind of getting an ancient mindset, you know, it's like it really adds some some context to this covenant that we have that's existed for. I mean, most of uh, most of the time the covenant was around, it was in this ancient context. You know, it's very recent that we're kind of in this modern way of thinking where things are less, you know, traditional and less respectful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's so confusing too, is just because it's like, for us, it's kind of out of context where you're like, what does this mean? Like, what is this? Like, how do I apply this to my own life? But remembering it in this ancient context helps us to kind of digest it and then have that um, feeling of reverence towards, you know, what God is doing for us, how he's providing for us. And um, I just want to wrap up with, you know, Pride can kind of be like a roadblock in our lives where we, pride is pretty much just, you know, the idea that we can do it on our own. We can do it by ourselves. Um, but when we just take that moment to humble ourselves and realize like, Lord, I literally, I don't even know how I'm here. I couldn't do it without you. That lets us like release anything that, you know, we're white knuckling. We can't let go of it. it. It allows us to release and allows him to pick it up and do more than what we could ever do with it. You know, like sometimes we have this idea of how things should go or, um, you know, oh God, it would really be a blessing if this worked out this way. But God knows the best for us, even if sometimes we can't really comprehend it and we can just release that, humble ourselves and know that, you know what, God, however you're going to do it, you're going to do it way better then I could even figure this thing out. I want to share a story. Holy Spirit, why? It's very vulnerable. Um, and I hate sitting. I don't want this anymore. Okay, so I'm just going to close with this story, if that's all right. Um, sometimes we have that view of how we can fix things on our own. And um, it can almost become like so overwhelming in our brains because it's taking up so much brain space that our brains weren't meant to figure out you know, like our brains literally can't comprehend the answer. So that's why it's so difficult. You know, have you ever had that where you just start thinking about something all day and you like lay down and you're like, God, I haven't done anything, but all this thinking is weighing on me. And so, um, back, Oh Lord, why do I have to share this story? Okay. No, I will be humble and know that this is for a purpose. This was not in my notes, but the Holy Spirit's bringing it to my heart. Um, so there was, um, this moment, it was about three years ago when we first launched Northwest. I was so happy that I found this church family and I was volunteering for this church and I was so excited for like a fresh start, you know, out here at Rogers. It was just fun and exciting. And Caleb and I were on the greeting team, learning how to greet and be sociable because we weren't really. And um, 
during that time, we're just holding the doors and it was, you know, all smiles like, welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here. Whatever, you know, we said. And um, I see this person coming through the doors and um, actually it was a couple and I had some history with this couple and I felt like they hated me. It was not true. It was all in my head, but I felt like this, like, you ever see that where you, you run into somebody you, maybe you have beef with or you have an issue with and you feel like that, oh my gosh, why are they here at Walgreens right now? Like, I got to get out of here. You ever have that? Maybe not. You guys are squeaky clean, but for me, you know, maybe I run into somebody and I'm like, oh, what? Why are they here? Usually I feel like that's the Lord trying to resolve something maybe, but, um, I had that moment where they walk in the doors and I'm like, no, this is my church. I'm supposed to feel safe here. I'm supposed to not have to see them anymore. Like what? So they walk in and I just feel that feeling like in my heart. And then it happens again the next week and I'm starting to dream about it. Do you ever have that where it's so intense? It's like, here comes Sunday. I'm about to see this couple that I feel like hates me. Um, and I'm just dreaming about it, rolling in bed, you know, just dreaming about being on the greeting team. Not fun. <laughs> and so um, I, you know, talked to some pastors about it. I did a lot of research online. I was just like really mulling over, like, how do I fix this? Like, seriously, like maybe something psychological, like what can make this better? And it just like hurt my brain. And it hurt my brain so bad. So I was just like, Lord, I need you to figure something out because I can't. Okay, they're not here, by the way. I just want to say that they're not. We're, we're tight. I just realized that could have come off as really awkward, but they're not here. They live somewhere else now. We're tight. They're cool with this. So um, moving on, I just released that to the Lord because I knew there was no way like, what am I going to say you know, just walk up to them and say like, hey, you guys don't like me and I know it. I don't know, like it didn't feel right in my spirit to do that. So I just released it to him. And you know what? Another Sunday came and I felt super awkward. And then Sunday was ending and um, they walked up to me and gave me $500. (laughs) And they were like, we just felt on our heart to do this. We care about you, whatever. And then they left. And that completely dispelled any of my thoughts and frustration. Because, come on, $500. That We needed that money, too. Oh, we did. Okay, actually, we needed that money. It was the exact amount. It was the exact. Okay, I guess that's like the most important detail. But we really we really needed that money. We were getting married, so we were broke. Um, and we needed that money for our wedding and just to live and have groceries and stuff like that. So when, you know, we think of ways to fix things, it's, it's not the way that God wants to fix them. Cause that was like such a miracle. Like that's a way that only God could fix things. And by just taking that moment to release it to him, he was able to just move in that situation, use the Holy spirit to make things completely right in a moment. Now I'm not dreaming about them or like rolling around dreaming about being on the welcome team or, Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love not dreaming about doing that kind of stuff. So allowing God to just work in our lives, humbling ourselves enough to say, you know what? 
no, I just watched so many YouTube videos like on psychology and stuff. Like, how can I re... It's all I hear when she's in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm just I'm like... Psychology. I know, I'm like watching TED Talks. I'm like, how do you forget somebody who you feel like hates you and wronged you or whatever? So I'm just like trying to figure all this out. But by releasing that to God, he was just able to like completely heal the situation in a way that who would think that? You know, like that's just such a, a God way of fixing things. So... Super vulnerable. Yeah, I know it's kind of one of those really personal stories, but I think it's just such a helpful example of how God can bring healing in ways that we don't even know how to. We just can't even handle it on our own. Did you have anything else you wanted yeah, to no, share I before it, I pray? That's just a good example of God fulfilling his covenant. You know, he's just waiting for you to say, okay, God, I'm going to wait for you. I'm not going to figure it out. You know, God you work this out. And by doing that, you were trusting him and you were fulfilling your end of the covenant, you know, putting your trust in God and he worked for you. And I think, you know, that's the perfect example. And you know. not for me, the Holy Spirit reminded me of that just right now. So that speaks to me. Thank you, Caleb. Um, well, that's really everything. I know so much information, but we just think it's so important to go take a just take a moment to go back and remember all this. Um, just really see the weight of this covenant that we have with the Lord, that it's something deeper, that it's family and not like the family we have. It's perfect family, perfect provision, you know, perfect trust. And I just, I'm just so grateful that we have had the opportunity to just study this and share because it's even helped remind me because there are moments while we're prepping for this youth stuff where I'm like, I don't know how to do a series or figure all this stuff out, but by just taking a moment to, you know, bring it up to him, he can make things right. He can set things straight. He can clear things up. He can heal things. Um, and it just takes one touch. You know, like we we're saying, we can just submit it to him and I'll just take one touch from him and he restores it all. Do you mind if I pray before we go? God, thank you so much for this opportunity to spend time in your presence. I just pray, God, that we can have such an amazing day celebrating and remembering what you have done for us, remembering your perfect faithfulness. We just love you, Lord. We're grateful for you, and we look forward to having hot dogs at Father's Day celebrations. We love you, Lord. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to what God has put on our hearts. If you need someone to pray with you or for you, join Heidi and I Monday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time on Facebook. And just know we're grateful to the Lord that He's given us this time with you. God bless.